Now I have a little thing here right before number four is don't make your confession worse than it is, but you ought to make it as bad as it is. And then you ask for something. Don't just start talking to the Lord and asking for all the things that you want. Uh, he'd like to hear a few comments first, like, uh, you know, compliments. The Lord loves praise. He loves you to brag on him. Now, I didn't know this all at once. One of the prayers that I prayed that I, I would not do it today. But God knows I was ignorant. I was in Shreveport, Louisiana, laying out behind the house. And I prayed, and I said, God, tell me what you want me to do. And I said things that I, I shouldn't have said. It was just, uh, 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 you know, I was, I was mad at God. I just, I'm mad. But God overlooked some things. And I'm so glad, you know, God is such a patient God. And he loves us. And we're his children, and he wants us to come to him. He wants us to talk to him. But look at the next thing I have here. Number four, you ask. Things we want for ourselves have a good attitude toward people as you meet people. And things that we want for others. These are not bad things. God says, make your supplications known. Talk to the Lord. And then also in his name. It means for his honor and it means for his glory. Because you see, whatever you ask God for, if it's not for his honor and for his glory, you, you, maybe you don't need it. But whatever it is, because you want to serve him and you want to honor him. And so you need to examine your life and see whether or not, is there any reason why God would not answer my prayer? Because if prayer works, and it does work, but it works better when you have a clean heart, when your motives are pure, and you want to do right because you want God to be pleased with you. You see, I have three children. I got one in heaven and two down here. But I wanted my children to do right. But not because, well, you know, my image. I'm the preacher and you're supposed to do right. You're the preacher's kids. And I want them to do right because they're God's child. Not because of my image. I want them to do right because I want God to bless them. I want them to, when they get to heaven, to be rewarded by the Lord. You see, that's what I want. That's what I desire. So if you understand a few things, it kind of helps you a little bit. Uh, look at a few things here. I want you to see this. Number one, Jonathan Edwards preached. And this is what I read about him. because I read about you know, books on these guys. And I want to know what makes them tick. And he preached, men cried and clung to columns of the church for fear that they would slide into eternity. Now, buddy, you must be doing some kind of preaching. I don't know anything about his message that much, except that he, he scared people to death. Some of these guys used to paint a picture of hell that the people would literally cry and scream that they didn't want to go there. I remember hearing a guy one time, he preached a sermon, and it scared people so bad that they, 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 they wept. They, they fell on their faces right where they were and just cried because they didn't want to go to hell. They didn't want their loved ones to go to hell because today, you know, all we hear is just love Jesus and everybody best be kind one to another. Pay your debts. Do it right. But, you know, people don't need to get saved if there's no hell. And a lot of people don't want to talk about hell. I have no problem with anybody and they don't have any problem with me if I just say, you know, God hates sin. But if I name a sin, now nah, you done gone too far. You just can't tell people what it is. Name a sin. Because somebody sitting there is guilty. And most time you can't talk or name a sin that somebody's not guilty of. 
But they don't mind if you talk about sin. Just don't name any sins. Because then I don't have to make any corrections or changes and all that, you know. And then if your preacher does, then they get mad and quit the church. You said they would never do that. All right? As we're moving right along here. Number two, Edward Payson prayed until grooves were worn in the floor by his knees. Martin Luther rose before four o'clock every morning to pray. Dr. Curtis Hudson heard about that. And he says, if he can do it, I can do it. So he'd get up at four o'clock. Then he heard about the milkman that got up at 3.30 in the morning. He said, if he can start his job, my job's more important than a milkman. So he got up at 3.30. Of course, in the afternoon, he was wiped out. And then he found out these guys didn't go to bed until about 7 o'clock at night. And he was going to bed about midnight. So it's best not to try to find out and do exactly what somebody else does because you don't know the whole story. Find out what works for you. Don't say, well, Peter Amato prays three hours every morning. Well, if that's what he does. That's what I got to No, you don't. Find out what makes it work for you. You spend time between you and the Lord and get it settled. Another man by the name of David Brainerd. Now, he died when he was about 27 years old. He was an old fellow. Missionary to the Indian, laid many times in the snow and prayed until the snow melted beneath him. He went to the Indians. John Welch was a son-in-law of John Knox. He says, give me Scotland or I die. He counted that day ill spent that he did not spend seven or eight hours in prayer. I think, what in the world did you do with the rest of the time? Did you sleep and eat? Meet people? Some people can do certain things that you cannot do. And God has laid his hand upon certain people to do certain things. You find out what it is God wants you to do. But whatever it is, do it. Fulfill the ministry that God's given to you. I have a little statement here about a man named Mr. Massey. <laughs> when I came from Louisiana with Betty and two kids and everything we owned, packed in a big old Buick, trunk was packed. We had mattresses and tricycles on the top of the car. I'd run a big old wire through the thing on top of it. It was as high as an 18-wheeler. And I didn't have a spare tire, and I had a little slit in the back in the tire. And I just knew that thing was not going to make it, but it made it. I got back to Georgia from Louisiana. I had $15 in my pocket. Went to her mom and dad's and says, here's your, here's your daughter and the kids. I'm going to Bible school. I'll be back and get them when I find a job and so forth. And so they were just still to death to get the kids, you know, and Betty back. And they didn't care if I left, but that meant they was a guy with them. I said, I'm on my way to Bible college. He says, Yankee, before you go. He says, I want you to go see a man named Mr. Massey. All right. I said, why don't you, you want me to go see? He said, I just want him to have prayer for you. I said, okay, pray. Right. So we went out into the, the boonies. I mean, it was out on a farm. No, hardly nobody around, but went up to this little farmhouse. And we walked inside, and he introduced me to this giant of a man. His hand was huge, and he worked on a farm, and I guess that makes everything grow. You know, you milk all day long, you throw that, and your fingers are big, and you know. he was a man's man. So he uh, shook my hand and swallowed it up, you know. Introduced me to this guy, Mr. Massey. And... Um, he says, uh, my father-in-law to him, he said, Yankee's going to Bible college, and he needs prayer. He said, well, then let's stop jawing and get her done. 
So I, I'm still standing there, and all of a sudden, he dropped to his knees in front of the couch, and Mr. Jackson got on his knees, and, well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do that. No, I didn't. They got on their knees, and it wasn't long. Mr. Massey, he just, oh, God, bless this man. I mean, that's the way he prayed. Like, I'm just in it. That's what he did. I mean, it's like nobody's here, just him and God. And so, scared me to realize, I jumped down and closed my eyes. And he prayed for me. He prayed for me like I've never heard anybody ever pray in my life. This old farmer. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a missionary. He was just a farmer. But he knew how to get a hold of God. And it was like he reached up there and got a hold of God and brought him down into that living room. And he prayed and talked to him like he was right there. And it scared me. I'd never been in a situation like this. If he was there, I wanted to see him. I literally opened my eyes and I peeked to see he's got to be in here. I'd never heard this before in my life. Remember, I never saw my mom and dad in a church. I never saw anybody have prayer like this. This was new to me. This is the first time. And I closed my eyes again, and that guy prayed for me. God put a hedge about him. Lord, make sure that the devil doesn't do this. And, the, and I never heard stuff. But, buddy, when he got through, and he says, and, Amen. But when I got up, I felt like Superman. There's nothing that can happen to me. I am totally protected. I had a man go to the throne of grace and pray a hedge of protection about me. Man, I felt great. I felt confident. I felt bold. It lasted about two weeks. And then everything fell apart. I was down in the pits. It seemed like nothing was going right. All the problems. And then next thing you know, I go to Florida Bible College. At that time, I was going to Tennessee Temple. Went down to Florida Bible College, and my kids got sick. I lost my job. I got in my car. I got to Perry, Georgia, and I, the, the car blew up on me, and I had to get on up there with Betty and the kids. It, everything was going wrong. It was right when the exams were supposed to be taken. Nothing happened right. Everything seemed to go wrong in my life. I thought, it wasn't this bad until I decided to serve the Lord. And then it's like all hell broke loose. The devil and everything that could possibly go wrong seemed like it was happening. And so I got back up to Georgia and I told Betty's dad, I says, um, can we go back and see this guy named Mr. Massey? So let's go. We went back to Mr. Massey and he said, well, how are things going? Ooh. I didn't want to tell him how everything was going. I said, I just need prayer. He said, let's get her done. <laughs> This time I didn't have to wait. I was I, I right there with him. And he prayed for me. And then after it was all over, I thought, nothing matters. All the heartaches, all the problems, all the breakdowns, the kids getting sick, no hospital insurance, no money, no nothing. But I knew that I, I have a God that answers prayer. And I don't know how, God, you're going to do this, but I believe he will. And you'd be surprised what that can do for you. The confidence that it builds inside of you. So I decided I'm going to learn to pray. And I got back down and everything wasn't solved all of a sudden. And another time then, one night I went out behind the house. 
And we had some clotheslines out there. The kids were in the hospital with bronchopneumonia, both of them sick, and I had no money. I don't know how in the world am I ever going to pay the bill. I almost didn't want the kids to get out of the hospital because I got to figure out how I'm going to pay, and I didn't know what to do. Maybe they'll keep them. I don't know. But I went out there that night, and I put my hand on one line and the other line, and I didn't close my eyes. I just looked up into the dark sky, and I cried. Big old crocodile tears. I have a little pride. I try not to do things like that around my wife. And I just cried. I, I cried. I sobbed. And I told the Lord, I says, Lord, it's amazing how confident I am and bold I feel. When I'm in the presence of somebody like Mr. Massey, when I hear him talk to you, I said, I've got two kids in the hospital, and I don't know how in the world you're going to get me out of this jam. I said, but I'm trusting you. And Lord, I've told people I'm trusting you. And you can ruin your testimony if you don't come through. Because if you don't come through, I'm going to tell. I thought a little threatening of God would help. So the kids got well and they had to come home. And I had to go and pick them up. But when I went down to the hospital, I thought, I hope I don't have to go and see that guy that I got to deal with the money. I hope they just let me take my kids walking out of the hospital. It didn't happen that way. They informed me that I had to go to the uh, financial administrator and take care of my bill. So I thought, Lord, don't let them know that I am in Bible college. I mean, I'm going to Bible college so that I can learn how to walk with God. So I can learn the word and learn how to trust. And I said, I'm ashamed. I am his child and he has failed me. But I didn't want to tell nobody that. He had let me down. Now I'm in a situation that I have no way of getting myself out of. So I said, Lord, I don't want him to know that I'm in a Bible college. So I walked into his office. And he says, um, are you Ralph Arnold? I said, yeah, yes, sir. He said, well, we're looking over the bill here. Yes, sir. He says, you're a student down at that Florida Bible College, aren't you? <laughs> to this day, I have no clue how he knew. I never told him. How he knew, I don't know. God had looked down and says, you little twerp, I'm telling on you. And so that guy knew. He says, I, I know that when people go to Bible college, they have a hard time, especially with a wife and two kids. And I know you must be struggling. Uh, yeah, a little bit. And you probably don't have much money. I says, oh. He says, the hospital we need blood. I said, oh, I've heard that before. <laughs> he wants my blood. I hope he lets me keep enough that I can live on. But he wanted blood. My mom used to say, you can't get blood out of a turnip. This guy was going to. He says, could you have the students at this Bible college come down and donate blood? If they'll donate some blood, we'll knock off so much for it, every pint of blood. I says, can I use your phone? <laughs> said, yes. So I says, um, I don't know the number, but for somehow we, I, I, I called the college. And I got Ray. 
And Ray says, uh, Yankee, I can't talk right now, but I'm on my way to chapel. I said, just a quick question. I says, Ray, I'm down here at the hospital. I can get my two kids. They said, I can have them, but I got to pay this bill. And they say, I can pay it off in blood. If kids will come down and donate a pint of blood, they'll tie it to the bill. He says, uh, I'm going to chapel right now. I'll mention it to him. He went in the chapel and he mentioned it. He called back and says, the whole student body's coming. And they came down there and they donated blood. And they knocked my whole bill off. Whole bill was paid. And I remember just the night before how I was blessing God out for not coming through. And I thought, Lord, why couldn't I have just waited a little longer before I shot off my big mouth? But I didn't tell nobody else what I was thinking. I was just talking to God. How upset I was. And while I was doing all of that, God was still working behind the scenes. And that's why I made that statement. Sometimes you want to see God do something that you can't make happen. You don't know how it's going to work. All you know is that it's going to. What does God have to do in your life to get your attention? You know, they say some people, he has to put a two by four over their head. Just to get your attention. And so here you are. And so God, sometimes he will let the, the bottom fall out on you. I mean, he might close the doors where you have no finances at all. When you're totally destitute and have no way of making it work. Now, what, do you, what would you do when you're in that spot? When you have nothing. How do you talk to God then? Or about him? Do you get mad at him? So I'm not going to serve you anymore. Just for that. And you have your reasons why you're not as strong as you ought to be or dedicated as you are. Or you, somebody hurts your feelings and you'd be surprised how you'll turn on God and not be right, not be faithful because somebody hurt your feelings. That's sick. After all that he's done for us and what he's done for us, yeah, I did some things that I shouldn't have done and I was weak. But I have to admit it. And you're not going to go very far in the Christian life pitying yourself, whining and complaining about everything that goes wrong. It's time to wake up and smell the coffee. Smell the flowers. I tried to smell a flower one time and a bee stung my nose. And you think sometimes there's nobody but just me and God. Everything seems to go wrong. But did you know in all those things, they just made me a little bit stronger, a little bit stronger, a little bit stronger. I told you the story, but let me just tell you the story because I love the story. In a couple of weeks, I'll be 72 years old, and all that time, I've never seen a live bear in a while. I've seen tracks, but I've never seen a live bear. Until I was up in northern Minnesota, and we're sitting around talking about bear hunting. And Rod Goble was the number one bear hunter in all of northern Minnesota. That's just what he said. And he'd killed about 150 bear. And so my little son, Eddie, was about eight, seven, eight years old, and he's listening to this. He looks at me and says, Daddy, God wants me to see a bear. I said, well, good, good. If we get back, we'll go to the zoo. He said, God wants me to see a bear tonight. Now, how many of you could go in there in your refrigerator and pull out a bear or go in your closet and pull out a bear? Well, where's a bear? I said, I, I, I don't have a bear hunt. I, I, I can't produce this bear. 
He said, God wants me to see a bear tonight. So Jim Paget was sitting there and his wife and said, well, there's a dump right down the road. If we get down there, uh, there might be a bear getting in the trash. So, all right. So we got in the car. We went down there. It's late on Wednesday night. I'm tired. I am so tired. I've had a hard day. I just want to go home, get a, go into bed. So we got in the car and we went down there and go in there real quiet. Lights are off. Just enough to see. And then he gets where those containers are and he pulls the headlight off and there's no bear. He said, well, there's no bear. I said, Eddie, there's no bear. We can't see a bear tonight. He says, God wants me to see a bear tonight. I said, you know any other place? I said, yes, about 20 miles down the road. I said, let's go. So we went to another place, bigger dump, greater possibilities. Drove in there the same way, pull on the headlights, no bear. And so we turned, came out, got on the main road. And I said, Eddie, there, there's no bear. We're not going to see a bear tonight. We're going to go on back to the house now. And I thank the people for taking all their time. Now we have about a half an hour to get back. It's late. And so Eddie looked at me, and he's sitting in my lap, and he says, God wants me to see a bear tonight. So he sat in my lap and he went to sleep. All of a sudden, Jim was driving the car. He slams on the brake. He says, my God, there's a bear right in front of the, the car. And a bear had come out of the woods and got in the main road and was going right down the road in front of us. And we looked and we saw the bear. And Eddie wakes up and he looks and he saw the bear. And the bear was going just in front of us so everybody could see. That's not a dog. It's not a raccoon. It's a bear. And then the bear turned to the right, went down in a little ditch, went up into the woods. And Eddie, he looks up at me and he says, told you God want me to see a bear tonight. <laughs> and he went sound asleep. That's never happened before, never happened since. Just a coincidence. The prayer of a little child, the faith of a child. Did you realize how much more we could have if we only asked God? Are you hurting? Do you need something? When's the last time you really poured out your heart to God about it? Try it. Don't do it for show. Because God will show you up. But you be humble before God. And resist the devil because he'll flee from you. But cast your cares upon him. And you'd be surprised what God can do in your life. But he has to teach you lessons. He's got to teach you that you can't depend upon your health. You can't depend upon your wealth. You can't depend upon all your friends. Sooner or later, everything falls apart. People will leave you. They'll get mad at you. Your kids will say things. Your grandkids might. All this happens. People you work with. And sometimes all you have is just you and the Lord. Just me and my God walking together. Just me and my Lord walking alone. Learn to talk to him. He ought to be more precious to you than the clothes you have on your back. I can get sidetracked on all this stuff. I got so many stories. Well, after 53, four years, I ought to have a few. And I do. But they have just convinced me that... I don't have to worry about the future. I've seen God's track record. Not my track record. 
God's track record. Because I've seen things that have happened that only God could have done. Look up here. This is you and me. This is sin. We all have sin on us. God says that he loves us. He hates our sin. But he loves us. And for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. Now, he loves us, doesn't want us to go to hell. He wants us to go to heaven. So to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God, and none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. We've all come short of God's perfection, God's glory. So God says you cannot save yourself. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. Came into the world because he loves us, hates our sin, because it separates us from him. So Jesus Christ took the sin, paid for it, on the cross, came back from the dead. He said that if we would believe that he did it for us, he would put this payment to our account, and we'd get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. That's a gift. All God wants you to do is believe it. Believe that, yes, you are a sinner. You know it anyway. If you don't believe you are, ask your wife. Ask your husband. Ask your kids. Ask your mother. We're all sinners. We've all sinned and come short of perfection. Christ paid the sin. So when I believe he did it for me, he puts this payment to my account. I go to heaven on what he did for me. Best news in all the world. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust him today? And if you will trust him, God said he would save you and give you Eternal life is a free gift. And you can know that when you get up to leave, you know you have eternal life. So with head bowed, eyes closed, and no one looking around, is there anyone at all say, yes, that made sense to me, and I want to be certain of going to heaven when I die. And preacher, I'd like you to pray for me. Would you slip you in it very quickly and put it right back down? Is there anyone at all? Anyone at all? You that have trusted Christ as Savior, what are you facing right now? While I was talking... Was there anything that I said that related to an experience that you've had or one perhaps that you're going through? When's the last time you shed a tear talking to God? When does it seem so real to you that after you've talked to the Lord and you cast it upon the Lord, it was such a relief? You know that you had the peace of God. You have joy in your soul because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Are you down, discouraged, depressed? Don't let Satan get an advantage of you. Cast all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Bless our church. Bless each person here. We thank you for all that you've done for us and what you've taught us, for the experiences that we go through in life to make us more usable for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.